Can everybody stand up one more time? Good evening. I want you to know, I am so happy to be here for two reasons. Number one, because Jesus is here. Number two, because I literally was just in North Dakota, where it was 26 degrees below zero. It was a hundred degree difference for me today. I actually have a video, I've been showing it to some people, I have a video of my wife. You guys do the cold water challenge. I was there and I did the boiling water challenge where we filled, my wife filled a cup with boiling water, stepped outside into 20 below and went like this and threw it over her head. It was ice and snow before it even touched her. You know that's cold. Up there then the land of the frozen chosen. Can somebody shout amen? But the fire of God is melting the glaciers in North Dakota. God is doing amazing things over there. Amen. There's one area they've been in a three-year non-stop revival. Can somebody shout amen? I mean, God is doing things, saving people, filling people, healing people. I mean, we serve a living God. Amen. Come on, everybody get your hands up in the air unless you're holding a child, in which case don't drop the kid. Amen. Say this out loud with me with your eyes open. Jesus, thank you for your presence here. Change me forever. Starting right now. I especially ask you, touch the person next to me. They can totally use it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, clap your hands like you mean it. Hallelujah. Before you're seated, turn to the person next to you and say, Hey, you've lost weight, haven't you? And then you can sit down. Go ahead. You're not lying. You're speaking faith. Hallelujah. Amen. My wife was with me in North Dakota, and right about now, she's really mad at me when I told her what the temperature was here. Hallelujah. She said, why did I go with you to North Dakota and I didn't come with you to Florida? It's snowing today after having 60 degree weather. It's snowing in Denver. Please pray that my wife lets me back in the house. Amen. Um, so uh, uh, just by way of this, actually, I, I'm picking up from the airport. I'm driving back down to Tampa on Friday, and I'm picking. Good to see you, man. Come on. Um, I am finding. Uh, I'm picking, not finding. I'm just going to find somebody. No, um, I, I'm picking up uh, uh, one of my sons in the faith. He's actually coming, and actually, he's going to be the one speaking on Friday night, and uh, we're going to split Sunday uh, morning, but uh, he's a wonderfully anointed Ethiopian. Can somebody shout Amen. amen. Uh, he uh, actually came with me the last time I was here. He was one of the people that came and helped pray for people and whatnot. He is a powerful young man of God and a great preacher, and I'm actually excited to spend some time with him, so he's going to be flying down. His wife is about ready to pop. She's about ready to give birth, and so she said, you can go, honey, but you better be ready. Amen. So I may be sending them back up there. They're quick. They're like amazingly awesome. If you have your Bible, would you open up to Isaiah chapter 42? Uh, I have three things that, uh, three texts that the Lord wanted uh, kind of stirred in my spirit and kind of put together. I am super happy to be here. God has been doing so many things. This last year was an amazingly fruitful year. Uh, I believe in discipleship. Everyone say discipleship. You know, I believe that you pour yourself into other people. Now, what I mean by discipleship is different than what a lot of people mean. So, you know, discipleship is not a Bible study. Everyone say it's not a Bible study. We study the Bible in discipleship, but that's not what it's about. That's why we have it in our house. I cook for people. I cook. And you know what? We've had discipleship groups that that last for about two and a half years is how long it lasts. Because we go from Genesis to Revelation. How many of you think that's pretty cool? 
You get to know your Bible. You get to see through the Bible and you get to see how Jesus is, a, is in every book of the Bible, how the Holy Spirit's in every book of the Bible. You get to see that God doesn't move dispensationally. That's going to rankle some of you and some of your upbringing. Uh, but the point is that God has always moved by supernatural miracles. I had a dear friend who was a Baptist. Technically now he's a Baptocostal. And that, that, uh, that guy, we used to get together for coffee. We'd sit down and go to Starbucks because that's what Jesus would do. And when we were there... We would sit down and uh, suck down coffee and we'd have lively uh, biblical discussions. How many of you know that's fun? And so he'd look at me and I'd always ask him questions. And, you know, he'd always quote to me things like, well, Dean, you know, the Bible says that, uh, you know, where there are tongues, they will cease. When the perfect comes, the perfect's the word of God. We don't need tongues anymore. So you're just crazy. You're not even speaking in tongues. That's not even real. And I looked at him. I said, why don't you never quote the whole Bible verse, whatever you quote Bible verses? And he looked at me. He goes, I am quoting it. He goes, you know, it says, it says tongues will cease and prophecy will cease. I said, you're not quoting the whole Bible verse. He opened up his Bible. He says, yes, I am. And I said, read it out loud. He said, tongues will cease. Prophecy will cease. Knowledge will cease. I said, well, do you believe that verse is true when the Bible came, knowledge and tongues and prophecy cease? Because they think the perfect coming is the canon of the scripture. And that's, of course, not what it's talking about. It's talking about when Jesus comes. You know, the second time. And so anyway, but, but you know, he has his feelings because he was raised a certain way thinking theologically. I said, do you believe that uh, when the scriptures came, all that came to pass? He said, yes. I said, well, then that means knowledge is ceasing. So doesn't that mean you can't possibly know anything that you're talking about? <laughs> he looked at me, he goes, did I say I hate you? <laughs> then I looked at him and I said this. I said, so explain this to me. I said, why is it? You know, if God doesn't need miracles anymore, why does the book of Revelation read the way it does? Because the book of Revelation tells us a little bit about what it's going to be like in those last days of the history of humanity. And by the way, I think we're going to be there. So I said that to him. And I I asked him that question. And he goes, yes. He goes, I believe that's accurate. I said, then why does it read the way it does? If that's an accurate description. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, my question is simply this. I said, "If if that's a description, why... Does God have to break out all the miracles of the past to do them? It's one of the most miraculous books you're ever going to read. So why is it that if the canon of the scripture, shouldn't it just read that in the book of Revelation that all of a sudden God had two people stand up and just preach a Bible series? And why does it say that there are angels flying in the heavens, signs and wonders on the sky above and on the earth below? Why does it say that? You know, shouldn't it just be two people preaching? And he said, did I mention that I hated you? And then I said this final thing to him, and this is all going to make sense here. Uh, I I said this final thing to him. I said, so tell me this. I said, why? As we had our cups of coffee up to our voice. I said, you believe the devil can do anything he wants to? Yes. But God doesn't do miracles anymore. No, that's what he told me. I said, you believe that the devil can counterfeit and do all sorts of miracles, signs and wonders to deceive people and get them out of church rather than, you know, or get them into Pentecostal churches. Uh, You know, you believe all that. The devil does all those things, but God does nothing anymore. Only scripture reading and scripture preaching. He goes, that's right. So God can't do any of this stuff, but the devil can do whatever he wants. He goes, that's right. Yes. And we're looking at each other. Just pause for 30 seconds. Dramatic pause. And I looked up and I said, do you think what you just said out loud is funny? And he said, yes. (laughs) Two weeks later, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, praying in other tongues. He's a wild fanatic for Jesus Christ right now. Now listen to me. The reason I say all this stuff is because we've lost our minds. This is not about you feeling comfortable. This is about setting captives free. This is about telling people, look, you've been hooked on drugs all your life. But you know what? In a three-second encounter with the supernatural power of God, you could be set free completely and just crazy about Jesus the rest of your days. 
We used to preach to people that, yeah, and God will set you free. I'd be an idiot if I didn't preach this because you're looking at one. They told me seven years ago I had a year left to live. Guess what? It looks like I'm doing pretty good, and I'm not on medical care. Do I look pretty good? Do I seem boring and depressed? Do I? Do I? Do I? Do I? <laughs> no. Listen, I want to tell you something. We serve a living God. I'd be stupid if I told you that he wasn't. And you know what? I have not gone back to the sins of my past. God has set me free. I've been walking free. Can somebody shout amen? We're not talking about, oh, go sin as much as you want and everything's going to be just fine. The grace of God says, sin like you want to. Just know you're going to heaven now. That's not what the grace of God is about. The grace of God teaches you to hate sin and set you free from sin. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I am the Lord, not me, him. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. He didn't call you in sin. He didn't call you in the know me. He called you in righteousness. He called you in right living. He called you to a better place. He called you to holy living. He called you to someplace that's awesome and incredible. You know, I always tell people, Jesus is awesome and incredible. He's yummy. The Bible says, taste and see I'm good. You know he's yummy. He probably tastes a lot like caramel and hot chocolate. Hallelujah, somebody. Amen. I felt Jesus. Whenever I say hot fudge, I feel Jesus. Come on. Anybody feel him? I felt him. Hallelujah. Coffee, chocolate. Whoa, he's coming. Come on. Anyway. Hear me. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. So he's calling us into a different state. I will also, now get this, I will also hold you by the hand. If anybody breaks into, I want to hold your hand, I'm going to hurt you. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that right I mean, I will hold you by the hand and watch over you. The God of the universe who pays attention to the minutest detail of creation, who makes sure that the molecules of your body are going the right way. The God of the universe who was watching over everything, the stars in the heavens, all the planets, all the everything. That God knows you individually and personally and he says, I personally will hold your hand. You know what? There are times you reach out to people and they're never there for you. You reach out in the middle of trouble and they're not there for you. You reach out for somebody, you cry out for mercy and nobody gives you mercy. Those of you may remember those days when, when you go to those family picnics and all the rest and somebody, you know, gets a little bit loose and after getting a little bit loose, they're like, do you remember when? And they bring up things from 30 years ago that you'd like to have forgotten. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Those wonderful family members that you unfortunately have to invite over, invite over for holiday seasons but don't really want to? Mm. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand because uh, some of those people may be in this room. But hear this. Right? <sighs> the point is, my friends, you know what I'm talking about. People bring up all sorts of stuff. But this God who attends to everything and knows you, who knows everything you've done, everything you're going to do, that God who knows every detail, he doesn't just know what you did. He knows why you actually did it. That God says, you're worth so much to me. I'll myself hold your hand. I'll walk you through whatever I love it when the Bible says the fire will not quench you. The waters won't overflow you. You are going to be fine. You are going to be guarded by me. I will go before you. I'll be behind you. I'll be on either side. It doesn't matter. I will hold your hand and I'll take care of you. That mighty, awesome, incredible God. Is that not amazing? Come on, somebody shout amen. What an awesome God. He says, listen to this. He goes, I'm going to watch over you. He's not not watching over you. He's paying attention to everything. Most of us live our lives. I love the, the beautiful songs that we're singing. And we're talking about encountering God. We talk about glory. The glory presence of God. You know, it is a sad thing to me because our God says I'm watching over you, which means he's paying attention. Most of us live like he's not. Most of us don't honestly believe. That's why we frazz out all the time. 
We're like, if I don't keep bringing something up frenetically to God, somehow he's going to forget what's happening. You know, he's with you. We spent so much time, you know, treating him like it's a honey-do list for God. Do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. I got to get on with my life. So I'm going to get on until something goes bad and then we blame him. As if he hasn't been watching. And the problem is he's watching. He knows our attention. He knows our attention span. Your lack of an attention span to get after God is not God's problem. It ain't my problem. It's your problem. The fact is, he says, taste and see I'm good. You develop your appetite for God now. You know, I, I had a lady tell me 80, in her 80s. She looked at me. She goes, young man, I believe there's such a thing as having too much of God. I looked at her. I said, well, you're not going to be in heaven, grandma. She got mad at me. And I'm like, why are you mad at me? You're telling me there's too much of God. What are you going to do in heaven? Try to get away from him? You can't escape him. In fact, you can't actually escape him anywhere because the Bible says that in the Psalms. Where can I go from your spirit? He's going to track you down. That's like a good stalking statement right there, huh? <laughs> right? It's like a Blondie song when you're working out. I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you. Like, <laughs> you know, listen to me. <laughs> you know, the point is, and why do they do? I was in a gym recently and they did Blondie's Greatest Hits and I'm like, why did I ever like these songs? Hear this, all right? Listen to me, okay? I want you guys to get this. Guys, do you understand? We, we develop our taste for God now. Whether you like Jesus or not, love Jesus or not, you develop that now. There's some of you, man, we're going to be singing those songs. I'm out of here. I'm going to go get some coffee and get back because I can't stand it when they sing those kinds of songs. You know what? It's not the right kind of song and all the rest. I spent a lot of my time in other countries worshiping in tongues because you know what? I have no idea what they're singing. Not a clue. Not a clue. I don't get some of the beats in some of the places I've been at either, <laughs> right? I was in one place. They had three signs up. There was a sign in English. I mean, like the old, you know, overhead projector, you know, stuff. They had three screens. One was English. The one was another language they were singing in that service. And the other, the other, there were three languages in that service, in one service. I had two interpreters. It was kind of fun. I felt like I had bodyguards and I felt like I was like, whoa, I'm important. I have two people. Come on, don't touch me. But, um, you, know, the, you know, it was interesting because they were singing all in their languages. I mean, seriously, it was a glorious mess. It was awesome. I'm listening to people next to me who are saying, some are singing in an Indian dialect, some are singing in a Chinese dialect, and I'm singing in English and in tongues, and I'm thinking, this is heaven. Some of you have been like, well, you know, I mean, it's just like so confusing. I want to go somewhere, they just have one language. What are you going to do for the glassy sea? You're not going to like it, are you? There are going to be people from every race, every kindred, and every tribe. They're all going to be there. You know, I just got to have this, got to have this. We're messed up. Our God takes special detail and special attention. He is watching over us. He is there with us. He is watching you. He knows he is watching. I don't know about you, but every now and then in the middle of worship, don't you want to just turn around and look at somebody who just stand there like this and go. (laughs) They look at you and say, man, that was kind of rude. You were doing that. I said, it wasn't me, man. Jesus lives inside of me. He kept telling me to do this. (laughs) You know what I'm saying, man? All I know is I get a little tired of hearing all these people. You know, all these, all these people commit all these crimes and they do all this stuff. You know what I'm talking about. They do all these horrible things, right? And they, they discover them and they talk about them and they find out what they're like. And, and you know, they, they kill 20 people. They bury them in their crawl space. What was the guy like who did all this stuff? Well, he was such a quiet guy. Such a quiet guy, huh? Kind of like some of you sitting in the back row when you worship God. Such a quiet person. Do you realize, man, they never say he was a loud, charismatic person shaking his booty for Jesus up at worship time and worshiping God. No, no, such a quiet person. Do you ever think about that sometimes you're sitting next to somebody during just rock and worship and they're standing like this in the middle of worship? 
and they're being all quiet. Never occur to you, possible mass murderer right there, right? <laughs> if I were you, I'd get near the people who are doing the boom shakalaka laka stuff. Come on, somebody. Those people aren't going to kill anybody. You know what I'm saying? I don't blame some of you for running out of service. I mean, if I'm sitting next to somebody who's going like this in the middle of hot work, somebody will be like, they're going to kill me. Get out of here. <sighs> Bury me in the crawl space of the church. Hear this. <laughs> Along with the non-tithing members. Think of that. But anyway, um, friends, God is watching. He is watching everything that we do. He watches where our hearts are at. Am I making sense? How are we going to be here if he's watching and he knows that you're bored out of your gore with Jesus? Unless he's going to come through for something. And the only reason you come is to make sure something gets taken care of. God, I'm stressed. Please take care of this. Take care of my stress because I don't want to be stressed out because, you know, I want to spend more time doing what I want to do without you. So please, can you take care of my stress? Listen, I want to tell you, that's the way a lot of people think. Hey, listen, man, there's a lot of people who say, hey, come on, Jesus, can you heal me? They come to church, man, the, the, the economy's bad, things are going bad, and all the rest. Man, the church is filled, they're lay, doing layoffs in the area, unemployment's going up there in church at the prayer meeting. When all the jobs come and everything starts going good, they got food on the table, they're back on their boats on the river, and all the rest. What happens? They're not at prayer anymore. And they prove the fact that they only sought God for what his hand would give them, and not God because he wasn't worth it to them. Yet this God who takes attention to every detail loves you, takes you by the hand and watches over you because you're everything to him. He says, you're the apple of my eye, my great joy. For the joy set before me, I endured the cross, despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God and I did it for you because my eye is on you. I take care of the sparrow and you're far more important to me than the sparrow. I love you so much. Listen to what he says. He says, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. And this is important for our week that we're going to have as we discuss missions. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. For what reason? To open blind eyes. Somebody shout amen. amen. To bring out prisoners. Everyone say prisoners. Amen. To bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Do you understand? God does what he does in your life to put you on display and he makes you part of the covenant he wants to make with others. God made a covenant with you when you said, Jesus, I will be yours. I was asked for the first time in all my years ever preaching in Africa this last year, just some months ago. I was, I was preaching and, and it was great. And a bunch of ministers, we we're talking to a whole bunch of pastors. And these pastors asked for the first time ever, they, they wanted to know why I had two rings. Some of them, I think, were concerned that I had more than one wife. You know, I stand up on stages throughout Africa and I say this. I introduce my wife, Carol. I said, this is my wife, Carol. This is my first wife and my only wife. And they start chuckling and they start laughing. They start clapping their hands. And, and, you know, I've had debates with chiefs who have 14 wives and other things. We lead them to Jesus. And, and uh, you know, then we do the discipleship process and say, you can't have 14 wives anymore. And we talk to them about that whole process. It's rather interesting. You could ask me afterwards. You want to know what we do. But, but so we talked to them about all this stuff. But so I think they were interested in maybe that I had all these, you know, that I was wearing these rings because I had more than one wife. And I said, no, I have one wife. The reason I have these two rings it's because my wife gave me this other one because one is the Celtic love knot. That's her background. She's Irish and English. And the other one is Greek key, which is my background, 100% purebred Greek. I can't give blood because when they take Greek blood and put it into any other socioeconomic group or any other ethnic group, they get this insatiable desire to quit their jobs and open a restaurant. So um, we can't have that happening. <laughs> uh, it has got to be other work in the country besides restaurants. Um, but anyway, so... So I show them that it's the mingling of two cultures into one. I said, these are my two rings and Carol is Lord of these rings. Hallelujah. They didn't understand what I was talking about. But anyway, I tried. 
I try rotten humor everywhere. But, you know, do you realize this represents a covenant? I love not taking, I've never taken my rings off ever, not working out, not working, not doing anything. I don't take them off because I remind myself of a covenant promise I made to God and to my wife. And I say, you know what? I lift up my hands and I worship Jesus. And I think a lot of times some of us don't like to lift up our hands and worship Jesus because when we lift up our hands, we have to show off that we're married to Jesus and we want to keep our options open for any other gods or things we want to do. Think about this. Think about this. I'm telling you, some people, they just don't. They don't abandon themselves. They don't lift up their hands. They don't do that stuff. Why not? Eh, man, I want to make anybody think that I'm too radical because I keep my options open for compromise. Man, I want to tell you something. I gladly show this off so everybody knows I belong to Carol. Carol belongs to me and we both belong to Jesus. 34 years. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. I probably hold this and love to show these things off and all the rest. God made a covenant. I declare that covenant. But did it ever occur to you his saving you? His working in your life, His filling you with the Holy Spirit, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, is to make you a light and a covenant to others so that what He's done in you, He promises He's going to do in somebody else. You're a walking example of the testimony and the power of Jesus Christ. You're a walking testimony, or should be, every moment of the day that God could take you and all of a sudden dematerialize you here and materialize you somewhere else in the world so He could show that area that He is making a covenant with them. If they would cry on His name, He would save them. He says, I did these things so that I would make you, I'm watching over you, I'm taking you by the hand, I'm going to save you all these things to make you a covenant to the people and a light to the nations. That all nations might know there's but one God. I stand on stages all over the world. Bring me your sick, your dead, and your demon-possessed. And I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He is going to heal your sick, raise your dead, cast out your devils to show you there's no other way to heaven except through him. That's what I declare. And I say this, and to show you that all your gods are false. Woo, you say that and they get mad. But they bring up the people. And I stand up there and say, Jesus, if this is my last day, praise God. But please answer this prayer. So that you'll glorify your name. So they might see that what I've said is the truth. I am a covenant light to the peoples of this world. And so are you. You were made not for yourself, not to hoard blessings for yourself, not to just go to meeting after meeting to get Holy Ghost goosebumps. Oh, the glory balls are all over me. I don't actually even know what that means. I just, that just came out and I don't know why and I'm going to go to counseling. But here, <laughs> I met a guy, it was somewhere, we were doing camp meeting somewhere and all the rest, and he kept running around going, shoo, and I kept shouting, sock. <laughs> um, Listen to me. Because <laughs> I figured shoe socks without shoes without socks, there'd be no service. <laughs> I am not apologizing for that really bad joke. But hear this. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Pray like mad right now. Hear this. <laughs> Friends, I want you to get this from me, okay? We were meant to be a light and a covenant everywhere. And when I make that statement, I make it because of the basis of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. When he saved me and filled me and healed me and delivered me, it is my absolute obligation that I show that I am a covenant light to all peoples of the earth. I'm not to hoard the blessings of God, but to share them. Some of you would rather empty all your stock portfolio and give that in an offering than offer what I'm talking about, which is you. 
People say, well, I'm not called to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? That may not be a choice for you. The way things are going in our country right now, are you kidding me? Am I nuts? Is that country crazy? Are our leadership, is all of our leadership in our nation acting like junior high kids or is that just me? I'm sitting there going, forgive me. You may have voted for some of these people. Forgive me. But I mean, I'm sitting there going, who, who would vote these people in? I sometimes think that some of the kids I've met that are in, in college today at least have a little bit more decorum than some of our folks do. Who should know better? What happens every time there's a change in government? You know, there's an old statement. Yes, today's, today's conservative is tomorrow's liberal. It's like we keep going downhill faster and faster saying, no, we can do it different. Did anybody ever think we'd have socialists? We'd be voting in socialists. Our boys and our girls have died overseas to make sure we defeat those things. And now here we are saying, no, we can do it better. We can get it right this time. We have communists and socialists and we have people. Let's kill babies after they're born. Let's kill them. Let's do all the rest of this stuff. Listen, I want to say something. I'm going to make myself really unpopular. Can I do that? Come on, come on, come on, come on. I just want to say this to everybody. You know what? It has never been about somebody's right to declare whether the child in their womb is worthy of living or not. God said he was in the womb when you were there. He made you perfect the way you were. And I'm not going to agree with somebody who disagrees with God saying you were perfect the way I designed you in the first place. You know what? Do you realize how messed up this young generation? I spend most of my time with people in their 20s and 30s. And I want to tell you something, okay? You know how messed up they are? Because when you're told over and over and over again, and they keep being told, the only value you have is because your mother decided to give you value. She said you could live because with her decision, you have value or you don't. Can you imagine looking at somebody saying, the only value you have in life is if I determine you have value. That's what we're saying to an entire generation, my friends. My Bible says that we were raised up to be a covenant and a light from God for all the nations of this world. That every person is a world changer. That every person is a light. Every person has a possibility to see worldwide revival, to see demonstrated through them the awesome, incredible power of God. That God made them perfect the way they are. And people are like, listen to me. I talk to people all the time. Well, this is what I identify as and all the rest. I say, well, that may be great, but I have gender identification confusion, so I'm just going to keep calling you what you are. And I say... Look, and people are like, that's insulting. I could call you. Look, I've never told People call me all sorts of things. I've never complained. I've been cussed at. I've been sworn at. I've been shot at. I've had all this stuff happen to me. I don't complain. I feel like if somebody's going to unload a clip inside of me, good. You're making me holy. Praise God. <laughs> all right. Then just stick a hose in me and water your lawn with me. Now hear this, okay? That's actually funny if you think about it. <laughs> I was just channeling like Looney Tunes just there. But hear this, all right? Friends, do you see, the point is, is that I don't care. I'm going to keep giving you value. When somebody comes up to me and tells me, well, this is how I like to have sex. Really? Seriously? If you say, listen to me. If you say to me, I'm homosexual, I'm lesbian, and all the rest. All you're telling me is, the only way you want me to think about you is how you choose to have sex. Is that your highest value? Seriously? I want to know whether you're a person of integrity. Whether you are a person who can be counted on. I want to know what your character is all about. And all you want to think about is sex. You are truly junior high age. What is the matter with our country? And in the church today, in our area in Denver, churches are saying, you know what? We are going all this. We're going gay affirming, drugs affirming. They're voting on psych... They voted uh, marijuana legal. Now they're voting for psychedelics to become legal. 
We're a messed up society. We have so many problems in our neighborhoods. We have more marijuana dispensaries that are legal in Denver, just Denver, than the entire state of Colorado has Starbucks and McDonald's combined. Illegal drugs on the rise because all these cartels have bought in. Big tobacco has bought in. How did that work out, big tobacco? How did that work out for everybody? God wants to set you free if you're stuck with smoking. Listen to me, everybody in this room. I don't care what anybody thinks. I care what God thinks. I care that God has placed value on people that transcends what you value. The values of this nation have so degraded. Here's God saying, I made you to be a light to the nations and a covenant of my glory. You sit there and say, I just want to go to bed with this and that and not be committed. I say, God wants you to live holy. Harder to live holy, easy to sin. Harder to raise the dead, easy to kill somebody. But raising the dead's a lot more fun. You know, it's easy to make somebody sick and spread your disease to somebody else. Harder to get somebody healed. Ow! Getting somebody healed's a lot more fun. I would take every blind person, there's been a considerable number that has been completely healed as we've preached and laid hands on people and prayed. I'd rather take somebody's eyes coming open than doing what anybody could do whether they even have a brain or not. Am I making sense with anybody? He says, I've taken you by the hand and I'm going to walk with you. My goodness, what has happened? And in the church itself, the church itself has lost its voice. Listen to me. I raise my hands. I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray out loud in tongues. And you know what? (laughs) Listen to what God's word says. Listen to this. It says this additionally in Psalms 107. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul. I don't know about you, but my soul's satisfied. And the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. I've been well fed. He says, though were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. I want to tell you something. I am not a prisoner. I am free today. I am well fed. I am not bound. I'm not thirsty because I've taken a drink and that water's flowing through me. I am unashamed of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church was not designed to make people into prisoners. I can't tell you the number of people in their 20s and 30s. Well, you know what, brother? You know, you just got to get with the times, man. The church would grow if you just had... One church in our area has a full bar in the foyer of the church. Alcoholic bar and a coffee bar. And you know what? Listen to me. I want everybody to listen to me very carefully. I want to say... When, when senior pastors start standing up of large churches, millennial churches, 20s and 30s people, you know, when they start standing up and saying, listen, everybody, if it's legal, it's moral. Jesus is not going to have an issue if you're doing these drugs. There's one movement right now out of Minnesota right now that's saying Jesus even gives you cocaine. He even gives you all this stuff. Listen to me. My Bible says he came to set captives free, not to get them back into bondage. You may say, what I do is my personal stuff. Preacher, get out of my house. Get out of my business. I want to tell you something. Your business is my business because I'm a born-again, spirit-filled follower of the living God. I'm supposed to love you. And if I see danger, I'm supposed to warn you. And you know what? It's not about doing what I want. It's doing what he wants. And you know what? You're going to have to stand before God at some point and give an account as to why you let somebody into bondage and not into freedom. Oh, you're just messed up. You know what? You know, that's so easy for you to say. Because you know what? You only show up for the funerals. We're there when, before the people die. 
We're there before they kill themselves. We're there before they end up in disaster. We're there trying to beg them not to go there. You're like, everybody has a right. You're not there in the middle of the night because you're too busy enjoying yourself and indulging yourself. They're in misery and they're in bondage and they're prisoners and we want them free. I want you free. Man, I love my life. I mean, I have people hang out with me all the time, some of them who are not saved yet. I had one guy for years, he followed along with me. I said, bro, you're dealing drugs, you're doing all this stuff. Why do you hang out with me? You know I'm not into any of that stuff. You need Jesus. He goes, I know, I'm not sure if I'm going to give my life to Jesus, but I like hanging out with you because it's free and it's fun. (laughs) I mean, I never got that, but I want to say this. Listen to me when I say this. You say, well, you make me feel bad if you tell me there's something wrong. Well, if there's something wrong and you don't want to change, well, of course you feel bad. It's called conviction. Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit and God, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you. I haven't met anybody. Have you? Is like, oh, I'm so convicted right now. Come on, bring it on, bring it on. That's not how conviction works. Conviction works like when you walk up to somebody, say, hey, good morning, man. They look at you and go, stop judging me. I said, good morning. Yeah, you're always judging me. I said, good morning. How is that judging you? Why is it good for you? Thousands of people don't have it good. Well, bless you. Bless you. I'm preaching to help them. In fact, I had a whole bunch of my house filled with a whole bunch of people that are doing better today than they were yesterday. (laughs) How about you? Yeah, you're judging me. Man, you should probably come over. (laughs) Do you understand the problem here? We're not here to lead people into bondage. We're here to lead them into freedom. Am I really going to use my so-called freedom to be bound? I thinketh not. Boy, entered the King James zone right there. (laughs) Listen to what it says. And as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I have set your prisoners free. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. From the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, O prisoners who have the hope. You know, return to the stronghold. Who's our stronghold? Come on, shout it out. He's our stronghold. But listen to what it says. As also for you, because of the blood of my covenant, he's made a blood covenant because of his death and resurrection. This is prophesied about in the book of Zechariah chapter 9. He says this. He says, I've set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. And listen to this. Return to the stronghold of prisoners who have this hope. This very day I am declaring that I will restore double to you. Our God has double portion for everybody. He has a double portion of himself. Not of all the, yeah, it includes all these blessings. You got him, you got a double portion of everything else. I have a double portion, God says, and that double portion is basically a double portion of himself, which includes everything that comes with him, every blessing, everything. Now listen to me, everybody listen to me carefully. He says, prisoners, if you'll come and get back to the stronghold, I have so much for you. Double portion of freedom, double portion of blessing, double portion of happiness, double portion of joy, double portion of dancing before the Lord. I'll come out somebody. He's got all that stuff. Now listen to me. Okay, listen. I have a double portion of all this stuff. He says this. Now, if you notice, the theme here has been prisoners. He says, I'm setting people free. My blood covenant is going to set you free from the waterless pit. Everybody say waterless pit. pit. Here's the problem. Okay. The problem is that waterless pit is talking about two things. One, clearly hell. Because you recall Jesus gave a parable about Lazarus and a rich man. And he said that the one rich man went to hell, the poor man went to heaven. 
And they didn't go there because one was rich and one was poor. That's got nothing to do with it. But you know what? He said that guy who was there was so thirsty, he wanted somebody to bring him water. And it goes to show you that even people die and go to hell, they're still the same characters they've always been. But they're really frustrated. They're really frustrated because they can't sate their lusts on anything. They can't even have satisfaction for a minute. They're in torment for every moment. And in that torment, friends, because that's where people are going apart from Jesus Christ. In that torment, in this waterless pit, this rich guy tries to order Abraham around, the order. He won't even talk directly to Lazarus, who's gone to his reward. He's going to give a or because he doesn't view him as an equal. Oh, that guy, he may have gone to heaven, but he ain't nobody. So I'm going to talk to Father Abraham. Father Abraham says, he's the, he can't go over to you. You can't come over to us. It's over, friend. It's over. Waterless pit. But here's the thing. That waterless pit for so many people are all these churches they go to that deny and put the plug on the Holy Spirit. God says, I really set you free from being waterless. And I find so many people that are waterless. I find so many people that don't have prayer lives. I find so many people that should be free by now and they're not free. And you know what? I just want to, if you just indulge me here for the last few minutes we have together, how bittersweet will be our party. Um, if you just indulge me here for a second. Um, you know, God made us wonderfully. That's what the Bible says. He made us intricately and wonderfully. I have a medical school background. You know, I have a med school background. Um, I was not in med school to help people. I was in med school to basically serve myself. And, uh, you know, I got involved with some, uh, some Cuban people that were doing drugs and stuff, then, you know, stuff like that. So I went to med school to launder drug money. That's not a noble purpose. And, you know, to just live it up. I was unsaved, living up, doing all this stuff that I was doing. And, and you know, just kind of living for myself and the devil, just possessed. My goal at high school was to be a prostitute. I was selling my body to do things I never want to remember for the rest of my life. I was doing all these evil things. I was an evil person. When I got saved, it was like a deliverance salvation. It was pretty amazing. Um, I didn't become that because I had a good family. My family was messed up. You know, our family was violent. I have a vivid memory growing up of my, my brother trying to put my mom, he had put an indentation in the drywall with her body. He looked at my mom was uh, all four foot 10. She was practically born full size. And so a cute little thing. And he picked her up and was slamming her against the wall. And, and I intervened, not because I love my mother. I figured, you know, she might have damage and die. And I thought I'd, you know, inherit what meager things we had, grew up poor. So I tried to throw him through the front window of the house. We were not a fun family. Dad beat on mom, mom beat on dad. We were angry. So you don't want to do the things that I did in my life because things were good. I never remember being encouraged in my life, ever. I, I, I remember, you know, being told how stupid I was, as if that was supposed to be an encouragement. It wouldn't amount to anything. So after a while, when you hear that over and over and over again from when you're lo- young, when you hear that, you develop a complex, you know. And you start saying to yourself, okay, I'm not going to be nothing. Okay, I'll be the best nothing you ever saw. And I, I did that. I was just joking with somebody I was talking to today in another state that needed some ministry. And, and I was talking to this person, and I was sharing with them because their kids are going through some problems, they're young kids. And I said, hey, thank God they weren't me. You know, and I was sharing the things I did at their kid's age, and they're like, thank God our kids are not that bad. <laughs> you know, that's always encouraging. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I was really bad. <laughs> Listen to me. But I was horrible. You know, horrible. But God saved me. Saved me in med school. Dropped out of med school, went to full-time ministry. You ought to thank Jesus right now. I never became a doctor. And uh, man, what prices have gone up. <laughs> Insurance especially. Hear this. So I, I, I was in med school 
and got radically saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and God set me free. I had a deliverance salvation. Evil came out of me when I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Couldn't stop praying in tongues, man. Couldn't stop praying in tongues. Prayed for hours and hours and hours. To this day, I pray in tongues a lot. You know, you have to be careful at supposed spirit-filled churches today because everybody says, well, you can't do that because unbelievers come walking in. Or, basically, what they're trying to say is people who come from Baptist churches or other churches that had bad teaching on that topic may not come back and we'd like to have them come, you know, so you can't really offend them. So if we could just make this waterless, we'll be good. But see, a waterless pit doesn't help anybody. It's just a prelude. It's just a prelude to hell. So I pray in tongues. I pray in tongues loudly. I go to places and lift up my hands, pray in tongues. I once, early on in my walk with God, went to an evangelical free church and, and uh, somebody we knew who we were discipling, it was our very first discipleship class, was singing at this church because that was their home church. They got filled with the Holy Spirit and eventually went to a spirit-filled church. But they, they were still there and they were singing a special song and I got so into it because it was so annoying. I lifted up my hands like this and you know we're all seated because nobody's moving and nobody says amen. Nobody gets into the Word. You know, they're just like sitting there looking. And I'm like getting in this, got my hands up like this, and all of a sudden I felt something in my hand like a piece of paper. I'm like, God, you send a word from heaven down to me. I'm like, I was afraid for like a minute to open my eyes because I figured like it would still be glowing gold and my eyes would burn out like, ah. And then I turned and I looked, I mean, I opened my eyes like this, and I turned and I looked like this. And an usher had come up and put a, a, a bulletin in my hand because he thought I was just raising my hand for asking for a bulletin so to put a bulletin in my hand my wife was dying i mean she's like oh, gosh she's just laughing it was horrible um but you know we say that so we say you know people shouldn't do that and people have their supposedly biblical reasons why it's a crock it's absolutely not true because basically how many of you how many of you like me were raised speaking uh, a language other than english in your house would you raise your hand if that's true how many of you raise it high yeah, there's some of us here. Okay, so, so that being true, you know, you speak another language. You know what it's like when you don't speak English so well? I learned to finally, well, some people think I still don't speak English that well, but um, I learned to speak English. Really, it was about the sixth grade when I got the hang of it. But, but I spoke Greek. We spoke Greek in our house. I remember the day vividly when my mom said, we're going to speak English in our house because we're living in this country, so we should have the language of this country. I remember her saying that. We used to watch TV, Gilligan's Island, and all these other things to learn how to speak English. Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Oh my gosh, you know, I, I loved Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> Man, loved him. But anyway, so just to say this, I just so, you know, on this. So I, I loved all this stuff. You know, I watched all this stuff, loved this stuff. And so we'd enjoy this. But here's the thing. You know, uh, I come from a family that's like at all these issues and all this stuff that's going on. But God set me free. And we keep telling people, you know, we should make sure this is waterless because people are coming thirsty and they need to be fed. And so we tell them, as long as they can get bread. Do you ever try to choke down some bread when you're really incredibly thirsty? It isn't. Are you following where I'm going with this? So we say no. And so we say to people, don't speak out in any language that cannot be understood. So what does that do for those who don't speak English? Are you basically saying we, they're not invited to our church? Let me just ask this question because I'm a missionary evangelist. How many of you think that people who don't speak English very well at all should not be in this service? Anybody? Maybe some of you feel like that, but you're too ashamed to raise your hand. But don't you think everybody deserves a right to be here? Does anybody here think that God can communicate truth to people who don't speak the language being spoken? 
Because if God were moving here, he could do that. Am I right? Yes or no? So basically, are we saying that, hey, nobody here who doesn't speak English, you know, is invited? How many of you say, yeah, if they don't speak English, they could sit here even if they don't understand what's going on. We want them here. How many of you agree with me on that? Oh, I get it. As long as they're not speaking in the Holy Ghost, they're welcome to be here. Because God forbid, but as long as they speak something that we can't understand that isn't God, the Holy Spirit speaking through them, they're invited especially if they have money. <laughs> um, they're invited, but not if they speak in the Holy Spirit. Is that what we're saying? Do you understand how foolish that thinking process is? Because that's basically what people interpret the Bible to say. God only wants monolingual congregations speaking the exact same thing because everything that happens in a church service has to be completely understood. Is that what you honestly believe God says in his word, yes or no? Remember, I told you, I spent a lot of my time in services where they don't speak my language. I have to have interpreters for everything. And let me tell you something. They don't interpret all the worship songs in the middle of worship because they're getting into worship. So technically speaking, the way so many people interpret the Bible, how can I give thanks at the end of their giving of praise? Because I don't understand what they're saying. I don't. And anybody who says that they always do when they go to foreign language speaking countries is lying. I don't. I don't understand. And yet we put our foot down and say, no, can't do it. Can only be only when it's interpreted. So basically, again, we go back to the. For, let me explain this, okay? I just want to share this. I'm bringing this up, hitting a few things here, to get to my main point here. This waterless pit. Um, when I got saved, I was bound by so many evil things, yeah, so much lust, so much perversion, so much stuff that was in my life. But Jesus set me free. He delivered me. So the question became: Why is it? Why was it that I was free? Why? Why do so many people struggle for so long? And don't think I haven't thought about this. I'm embarrassed to tell everybody in this room a truth. May I share something that's embarrassing for me to share? Right? I have never had a dry prayer life. I've never had a dry prayer life. And I feel embarrassed to say this to you. This is not pride speaking. I'm just telling you, when people talk to me about, well, I have these dry periods in my life, I literally can't identify I've been serving Jesus for 34 years. And that's because prayer is the number one important thing in my life. I, I, okay, bar anything, if I couldn't preach ever again, but I could be in prayer meetings and lead prayer meetings, I would be happy. I mean, I'm just telling you, full disclosure, I love prayer meetings. I love to pray. I love seeking God. I love it. But I want to explain that I've never gone a day without praying in tongues at least an hour every day since I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. I spent a lot more than speaking in tongues and praying in tongues an hour every day. I've spent a lot more time than an hour every day. I'm just being honest. Never gone a day in my life in Jesus because my mother said to me after I got saved and all these demons and things came out of me, this evil that was in me, she told me when I was bawling my eyes out and yelling in tongues and praying in tongues and all the rest, she, and by the way, that was a funny experience. I'll have to share that with you sometime. But when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I was praying in tongues. My mom dropped me off at my dorm room. She said, honey, you need to make sure you pray in tongues at least an hour every day for the rest of your life because of all the evil you've done in your life. Isn't it great when moms are honest? <laughs> I gave birth to you. You're evil. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Happy Mother's Day. Here's a grenade. Um, so um, it's a pretty ring. Pull it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't believe I just went there. I literally cannot believe I just went there. Um, I'm a horrible son. Hear this. <laughs> and so, so listen to me. Okay, why was I free? 
Well, I'm going to give you a quick thing because I was in med school. So I'm going to give you a little quick uh, thing here. Um, how many of you have gone through what you would consider to be traumas in your life at some point? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, look at this. We go through traumas. We go through things that are serious, right? We go through these things in our life. So I went through a trauma in my life. And so when you go through a, tra a trauma, your body being intricately and wonderfully made, you have something called the thalamus. Everyone say thalamus. So a little instruction here in medical stuff. The thalamus is kind of like an umpire, so to speak. It kind of governs things for you. And the thalamus in your brain basically helps excrete hormones and does other stuff. And what happens is when you go through something that's like tragic in your life, it basically moderates all the hormones, excretes certain hormones, and imprints you and says, this is bad. It's really bad. Or if something's pleasurable, it says, party on, this is great. You know, but the thalamus governs that. So what happens is when you are going through something traumatic, you basically get imprinted by this, this release of these hormones so that it's a protective response. God made you that way. Now, you know, when things happen in life and how you layer up these things and how the decisions that you make and all the rest, I mean, it could really mess you up in regards to how you perceive things. But that's why so many of us in this room, when you are in a room or go through something, all of a sudden you act weird and funny. You have a reaction and everybody's like, what is wrong with you? What happened? And what you don't realize is you're just having these hibajibis, and what's happening is you're basically, your system, you're, you're being picked up something because God made you to be a spiritual being. And you pick up things spiritually and when you pick them up spiritually or you pick something up or you see something, it triggers a response in the way God designed you and all of a sudden the thalamus says this is similar to something happened in your past. Warning, 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 Will Robinson. And all of a sudden you're like, ah! And you have a reaction and you don't know why you freak out. You don't know why. What happens is, especially when these traumas are younger, it stunts your growth. There's a term that professionals use called arrested development. Arrested development can describe somebody who could be a CEO of a company, you could be very mature in all the areas of your life, but in certain areas of your life, you act like a child. You're, you're wise, you're, you're good with things, you could you know, conduct life, you raise a family, you do this stuff, but all of a sudden in certain areas, you respond in a certain way and you act like a kid. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes or no? And you're like, why on earth can you be so mature and act like a child here? What you don't understand is that person has never developed past that spot because the thalamus basically when excreted this stuff said, you stop growing here. And so all of a sudden you imprint yourself and when you go through a, something that reminds you of that trauma, whether it's cognitive or maybe unconsciously, you dissolve back to the way you used to act. When that trauma happened, you do. All of a sudden you start dissolving acting. I remember being on a missions trip with a group of people that invited my wife and I to come. We're having some great stuff. We had some pretty mature young people going through a discipleship program that were not our discipleship program. It's this other ministries that invited us to come. And when we found out that our flight had been canceled after we'd been on this island for 10 days doing phenomenal ministry where they begged us to stay for a month. They literally saw us off to the airport begging us to stay. And I wanted to stay. I'm like, let's do it. But they're like, no, we need to head back to the United States for stupid stuff. And so, so, but I'll never forget these young people standing there. And when they were told that we missed the flight, we're going to have to stay an extra 10 hours on the island, 10 hours on the island. The one girl literally lost it and started screaming and started yelling and screaming at the people behind the counter. Why are you keeping me from my mother and my father? What's wrong with you? Why could you do this to me? You're ruining my life. 
I mean, she literally had a meltdown. I'm, we're looking at a two-year-old having a meltdown. And I realize there's trauma she's never gotten over in her life. Because she had been so mature, she'd been used by God so powerfully. All these things had happened, but she had never resolved things in her life. Am I making any sense? Though seemingly free, she was a prisoner. A prisoner in a waterless pit. Why am I saying this? Because, dear friends, because God's made us to be free. Made us that we might be a covenant of light and freedom to the nations of this world. You were designed for that purpose. We're designed not just for here. We're designed to be lights everywhere we go. Either in our going or in our sending of others. To send free people who are a covenant of light. Listen to me carefully. The problem is this. Or rather, maybe I should say this. The reason I had freedom because of all the horrible things I had done and all the rest was because of what my mother said. As funny as I tried to make it out as the way she said it to me, because she did say it to me like that, but in Greek. <laughs> my, my mother, what she told me was the thing that saved my life. Jesus saved me from my sins and broke the bondage of sin. But the healing power of God came from the water of the Holy Spirit because she told me to pray in tongues. You know what's really interesting? When you read 1 Corinthians, which is written to my peeps, the Corinthians, they're Greeks. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 13, chapter 13 is oddly placed. Chapter 13, here's the, all the discussion about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 12 and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 14. And all of a sudden, smack in the middle is love. And then he makes a statement that Paul never makes anywhere else. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, did this stuff. But when I became a man, I put off childless things. So, you know, you begin to think to yourself, okay, he's talking about not being kiddish, you know, and the rest of the way it's generally interpreted. But you know what? I've come to understand and believe that what God is talking about there is that, when, you know, you have to ask yourself, when did Paul become a man? I'm completely convinced it's when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because he puts this in between all this stuff about the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's going to tell the Corinthians, I thank God I pray in tongues more than all of you do. Paul grew to be quite mature from the person that he was, wanting to go and vent his anger and kill Christians, and then in the end, he dies for Christ. He had matured quite a bit. Would you agree with me? How did that happen? Because I believe it's when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When he was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit was enabled through his partnering with the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues, was enabled to bring the healing that was necessary in his life to cause him to mature in those areas he'd been damaged. I tell you, everybody in this room, if you want freedom, if you want growth, if you want truly not to be a prisoner anymore, stop being in a waterless pit. It's time for you to step up and utilize this incredible gift. You know what? The Bible says pray at all times in the Spirit. That means pray in tongues at all times. Praying in the Spirit means praying in tongues. Because the law of first mention dictates that it should be so. Because when you're studying the Bible, law of first mention, when it's first mentioned, it kind of sets the definition for the rest. The early church knew praying in the Spirit is praying in tongues. It's the church today that says, well, praying in the Spirit means praying, uh, praying with emotion. That's, the Holy Spirit's not emotion. You may feel emotional, but he's not emotions. He's the third person of the Trinity. Praying in the Holy Spirit was defined when they got filled with the Holy Spirit. They all began to speak in other tongues and start praying in other tongues. Paul said he did it more than all the Corinthians combined. That's a lot of praying in tongues, my brothers and sisters. It's time for us to be over this waterless pit nonsense. People are spending so much time with a lack of water, they're dying of thirst and overfed. 
taste and see I'm good. He's the bread of life. I'm so thankful for that. People are going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. But they're going to heaven as prisoners. Why do so many people, you say, how can that be? Well, you're maybe set free from sin. God has forgiven you of your sins, but you're still bound by the things of life. That's why so few people even bother to go to missions banquets or go on a missions trip because they're bound by fear. How many of you don't even open up your mouth at work to share Jesus with somebody who desperately needs it simply because you're afraid to lose your job? Listen to me, everybody. There are so many things we won't do. I can't walk up to that person. God's compelling me to walk up to him and pray for them to be healed because God wants to heal them. Because what would they think if nothing happened? Fear! You're a prisoner! Am I making sense? Let's go on a mission trip. Come on, let's go! Let's go overseas. We may all die for Christ. What a fun way to go! Maybe we die overseas. So what? You'll stand before God with a given testimony. Stephen the martyr's up there right now, man. I got stoned. That's how I get, not the Denver kind of stone. I got stoned. That's how I ended up in heaven, man. I, I wouldn't deny Christ. Peter, man, praise God. I got crucified upside down. How did you make it to heaven? They're going to point at you. What are you going to say? I choked to death on a donut at the coffee fellowship at church. <laughs> That's no way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Am I making sense? Enough of the waterless pit. I prayed in tongues and prayed in tongues for hours every day. And somehow God healed things I didn't even know I needed healing from. And I got free and I was no longer a prisoner so I can rejoice and have joy and not worry about anything. That's why I preach the way I do. I'm unconcerned about things. That's why I lift my hands and jump and dance and shout and I don't care. I don't care. Why was I going to say, lift my hands in the air and I don't care? I have no idea where I was just going to go there. Um, um, Listen to me, everybody in this room. Listen to me. I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 